Brian Kemp almost slams the door on a 2024 run. We're focusing every day right now on bringing good paying jobs and opportunities to the Georgians. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, we got a busy show, but before we launch right in, I got a full household all over again. Um, My uh, oldest daughter was away at UGA tennis camp for the last four or five days. She's back now. And uh, the house is as loud as ever here in Dunwoody. I have half a loud house. Henry is up at sports camp in Chattanooga and I miss him so much. Um, But that means we have Harper all to ourselves. So it's, you know, I guess that's good. At least we have one. Brooke was very much enjoying being the only child while her big (laughs) sister Nicole was away the last five nights. So, (laughs) well, coming up, we're going to talk about Kemp slamming the door, almost shut on a 2024 run. Georgia election officials are taking on true the vote. Really interesting. Why Marjorie Taylor Greene sees being a free agent as a good thing. We're going to answer your questions from the listener mailbag. We're going to have our who's up and who's down for the week. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Let's start with this piece of news, Patricia, because after maintaining for months that he's keeping his options open and not ruling out a 2024 bib, Governor Brian Kemp essentially did just that during an interview with our friend Scott Slade on WSB Radio earlier this week. <laughs> well, I would tell him that there's a, in my opinion, there's a lot of, lot of good people running for president right now on the Republican side. And I, I think having me or anybody else get in the race right now really undermines our ability to be able to win and beat Joe Biden, which we, we absolutely must do. Patricia, that was Governor Kemp's answer to Scott's question of what do you say to some of those draft Brian Kemp calls that he should run for national office? Of course, the second term governor has generated lots of buzz from Republicans here in Georgia and also nationally who believe he can appeal to conservatives who are really worried about former President Donald Trump's comeback attempt. And as we've said over and over again, although he has not taken any steps to run, he also hadn't ruled out a bib. Patricia, that seemed to shift at least a little bit with these latest comments. I feel like this door is closed. This is crazy. I mean, it's it's he's not running. He's not running for president, people. Um, although we do keep asking him. So I guess that's part of what's keeping this conversation going. Although at this point, multiple national outlets and the reason we keep asking multiple national outlets continue to say Brian Kemp should run for president if Republicans wanted somebody to get in at this point who still has a chance to catch fire because all of the other many alternatives really just haven't popped yet. Um, The two names that keep getting floated and not by us are Governor Kemp and Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who is actually term limited. So we'll be looking for a job pretty soon as well. Um, You know, I think the 
the the problem with this is that it's incredibly late. Also, the people who are looking for somebody else to get in are a collection of large donors and national journalists. And that is not the <laughs> GOP base. I mean, the GOP base does not seem hungry for somebody else. They've picked their man. It is very unusual for somebody in a crowded field to already have 50% of the vote, and that is Donald Trump. Now, the other half of the party, and the reason this conversation is still happening, other than the fact that some people just really don't like Donald Trump, is that poll after poll shows that almost any other Republican who's running could beat Joe Biden and beat Joe Biden easily. And you put Trump against Joe Biden and suddenly it's a toss up or Trump's losing. And Republicans just feel like their their chances would be so much better if they had anybody but Donald Trump. But that's just not the energy in the base. And this is just this is more than about just Donald Trump. This is kind of an existential problem for Republicans like who are they? Are they looking for a more moderate in tone, business friendly, extremely policy conservative person? Donald, I mean, uh, Brian Kemp fits that bill. Or do they want Donald Trump? I mean, listen, the activists we hear from want Donald Trump. Yeah. And it's interesting seeing the spin from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. NBC News had this great little scoop on Thursday with a confidential memo that they somehow got to NBC News's hands. And among that was basically his path to victory, DeSantis, despite trailing Donald Trump double digits in pretty much every every state national poll, is the belief that a lot of those, you know, it's it's early and a lot of people who are being polled might shift their opinions, especially in some of those early voting states um, where they'll have a firsthand opportunity to meet the candidates, see the candidates, watch them in debates, all that. So um, he's resting his bid on that hope that, you know, as folks get to see him, they'll change their minds. He's in second place in most of these polls. They're also very concerned about Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, who is a dynamo fundraiser, who's already raised a significant amount of money just after six weeks or so in the race. Meanwhile, for Governor Kemp, many of his closest allies, and we've talked about this a lot, see him always have seen him as far more likely to challenge Senator Ossoff in 2026 or just kind of go into the private sector and make a lot of money. Um, either way, though, the governor's made clear that he is going to promote his vision of the Republican future and uh, play a key role in trying to ensure Joe Biden doesn't capture Georgia for a second time in a row. And I think we might, we've seen Governor Kemp criticize Trump by name. We've seen him criticize Trump by not name, you know, just by notion. Um, I don't know how that will change because as it looks like Trump is going to be the nominee, we've also heard the governor say he's going to vote for whoever the GOP nominee is, even if it's Donald Trump. And that just points to the exact problem that he's got here. And I think his answer was really accurate when he said him running at this point really undermines the effort of any other Republican who's trying to run against Donald Trump. The more it's just simple math. The more people you have in the Trump alternative section of this race, the more those uh, those votes get divided up. And so um, I think that was an honest answer. I think it was a really accurate answer. And then what Brian Kemp decides to do from here on out, how much he decides to criticize Donald Trump, how much he decides to even be available as a potential VP nominee for a Trump alternative. You know, those conversations tend to get out once they've happened. Um, It has a lot to do probably with what he wants to do with his own political future, because he never did go after Donald Trump when he was running for reelection as governor. He he walked that very fine line 
um, because he knew he would be back at the polls on the ballot and needing those Trump supporters votes at the same time. So we he really was very careful in his dealings with Trump and never did antagonize Trump voters, even while he did um, stand up against Trump in multiple cases, not just the election. So will he go after Trump again loudly? Um I don't. I that might give us a clue about what his plans are for twenty four and twenty six as well. Uh, uh, it's a very different scenario if he's never planning to be on a ballot again and can just say what he thinks versus having to really calculate what's the best next move for me to keep my doors open. Yeah, my gut is we'll hear the governor continue to focus on Joe Biden on his view of Biden's economic and foreign policy agenda, public safety, you know, et cetera. At the same time encouraging Republicans to focus on the future, not the past, not the 2020 election grievances. And if Trump is the nominee, I think you'll continue to hear him say that, not really focus on Trump. And, you know, if, if Trump ends up losing, he can just point back to say, hey, look, this was my vision. <laughs> and, and, and Republicans, national Republicans didn't follow that lead. Uh, Patricia, I want to shift gears because something else happened, and this does relate to Donald Trump, but the Georgia State Election Board, with support from Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, is now suing a right-wing group called True the Vote over its failure to comply with subpoenas that back up its claims of vast ballot fraud that they made in the movie 2,000 Mules. This lawsuit seeks to force the group to turn over information about alleged ballot trafficking during the 2020 election. It was one of several unproven conspiracy theories that were floated by Donald Trump and his allies after his defeat back in 2020. Patricia, True the Vote, has refused to provide details and documents supporting these allegations that several unnamed organizations paid individuals $10 per absentee ballot delivered to drop boxes across Metro Atlanta. State officials are playing hardball with this lawsuit. Yeah, they really are. And I think that they feel like it is very important to not just ignore these claims or let them be defeated by an elections board. It is really the case that taking these things in front of a judge and going through the process of having to produce documents as a part of um, a discovery motion, this really gets down to brass tacks. You are required. There is no way out. If you have a an attorney who is uh, in the bar, they are required to produce these things and produce them accurately. And Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is saying they have never presented the evidence to back up these claims. And this movie, 2000 Mules, um, Dinesh D'Souza was behind this as well. And I can't tell you how important and how much a part of the talking points and the fabric of that pro-Trump wing 2000 Mules was during the 2022 elections. Leading up to the Republican primary, I went to multiple events, particularly an event in Rome where Marjorie Taylor Greene was speaking, Mm -hmm. and just about every Republican, and these are the challengers, the challengers to Raffensperger, the challengers to um, Attorney General Chris Carr. From the podium, they're saying, have you seen 2,000 mules? Don't you know what happened? And in talking to voters afterward, they would they kept bringing up. They're like, well, I mean, you know what happened in the movie? In the movie, people were getting paid for votes, and that's illegal. I'm like, well, yes, that is illegal. Did that happen? You know, they've never produced a, a name of a ballot of a person who pay, who who was paid ten dollars. Yep. It just hasn't happened. And so, until that has happened, Raffensperger is saying there are accusations. 
and then there is proof. And they have never married those two. And they are taking this to a court of law to demand the proof. And if they don't, the judge is going to say that. Exactly. And we, and we look, I've got how many activists reached out to you, Patricia, asking them, hey, do you want to come see this movie with me? <laughs> so many. <laughs> and I did watch I did watch it. Um, and I know Mark Nisi, our colleague, watched it. But again, Rick, I mean, what we've heard from Republican elected officials throughout was, hey, if there is, you know, if, if this is happening, we want to investigate it. Remember the GBI wrote that they could not find evidence of these sort of plots, but they would love to see that information. So that that's where the state election board is right now. They would love to see this information if it actually exists. But the, the, the group that uh, true the vote, the group behind 2000 mules has not complied with those subpoenas looking to turn over the information that they use to make these alleged claims. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy here with you. We're not only your two podcast hosts, we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt Newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, and you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia, this is, this is a story that's captivated a lot of Washington. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she doesn't want to be tied to anyone after getting dumped by the House Freedom Caucus. She told reporters she was happy being a free agent. You know who else is happy about that, Patricia? House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who hosted a fundraiser for her this week and said he continues to strongly support her. Yes, from Freedom Caucus to Free Agent. That's what Marjorie Taylor Greene said she was doing earlier this week. I mean, yeah, she has just gotten flat out booted by the Freedom Caucus. Although the wildest thing to me is that she was kicked out not for many, many of the incendiary things that she has said in the past or the things she has said about House Speaker Nancy Pelosi when she was the House Speaker. It was really apparently for something she said to Lauren Boebert on the House floor, called her a little bee. And then also this close alliance with McCarthy. But I think for Green, the smart move is to stick with leadership. You get a whole lot more done when you're not just fighting in order to have a fight. And that 
can be what the Freedom Caucus ends up doing sometimes. Sometimes they are really able to move the needle on important legislation, but sometimes it's just it's just kind of fighting for fighting sake. And here's what she said to Tia Mitchell earlier this week. She said, I'm interested in getting accomplishments done, not doing things just to disrupt and fight leadership. So that is a new Marjorie Taylor Greene. She used to just do things to disrupt and fight leadership, to be honest with you, um, and not just Democratic leadership. I mean, she was just a fighter. That was her brand. Um, she's now having to walk this fine line where it's still her brand. She still goes to these Trump rallies, introduces Donald Trump. She's still super close to Donald Trump. That's really important for her up in that district. Um, still close to both of these gentlemen, but is now kind of forging this new almost identity. And I don't know where this is going to go. I mean, it is totally logical for her to stick with McCarthy. He is able to deliver way more for her district than um, somebody like Andrew Clyde is going to be able to when he's still in the Freedom Caucus and still picking really significant fights with leaders. Um, We'll see where this goes for Green. But again, any day that I think she makes a lot of sense, I think that also imperils her with her with her GOP base. So we'll have to see. But um, it's it, it, it's the smart move. It's not the very green move. But she is trying to walk this fine line. And so far, so good. You know, we hear from her constituents up there. They're still happy with her. She's still quite visible up there. But, you know, the far, far right is still steaming mad at her. And we'll see where this goes. Yeah, it's not all roses. Even as Marjorie Taylor Greene embraces leadership, she's also threatening to, to to tank a key defense bill that Kevin McCarthy is trying to push through the House this week that would fast track $300 million in aid to Ukraine. But, you know, that aside, she's still tying mostly herself to the establishment. And it's words I don't think we'd imagine ourselves saying just a few weeks ago, let alone a few years ago. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, the establishment-friendly politician. Wow. Now, let, we'll add this caveat. She is still saying the election was rigged and stolen. Yes. She still calls Donald Trump my president yes. and has all sorts of wild conspiracies that she delivers on a daily basis. But From on this, vaccines to uh, election yeah. fraud to you name it. Exactly. It she hasn't ends. changed that rhetoric. Never ends. Um, however, it it's just another interesting moment with Green. T- took this fight to the Freedom Caucus and is out and is now this kind of new quasi. Um, we don't know what we don't know where it's going. So stay tuned. I know I'll stay tuned. Well, speaking of, we don't know where it's going. Now it's time for our listener mailbag, and we always. <laughs> Good questions. We don't know where they're going. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and enter your question right here on the podcast. Shaney B., our producer, is standing by with his legions of interns, and we really do not hear the questions before he plays them to us. Shaney B., what do we got? And we keep you on your toes you do. during the listener mailbag segment, which is why it's lo- my favorite segment, because it really showcases that you you guys are top-notch when it comes to knowledge of Georgia politics. <laughs> As I said to some people in the newsroom earlier this week, I said, you guys are just walking encyclopedias. You don't have to look anything up. It's just so much of this is off the top of your head. It's wow. You are, you are, you are about to drop a, a giant bomb on us. Aren't you? Why do you guys suck? You're softening the target. <laughs> or who is the state center in 1976 that proposed XYZ bill? It'll be great. Um, so, <laughs> you could so, probably tell us who some senators were in 1976 here in Georgia. Seriously. Well, Ready, yes. set, go. 
Well, we have, well, I will say before we go this, we, we always get a ton of questions. So we've been trying to limit them to the very best one that calls into 404-526-AJCP. It's 404-526-2527. So Shaney B. Yeah. And you have? can also tweet. You can also email just like Christopher in New York did. He emailed the show and says, what do you see for the future of the Republican Party? He says, I hope traditional conservatism can return once more. Interesting, Christopher. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what the future is, but we definitely have seen two dueling visions. One, you could call it the Kemp Duncan mainstream vision. We heard Jeff Duncan, the former lieutenant governor, talk about GOP 2.0 moving on beyond Trump's election grievances. Certainly, we've heard uh, Brian Kemp issue his own pleas to his party and back it up with electoral victories from the entire Republican establishment, with the exception of Herschel Walker who was more aligned with Donald Trump. Even as we say all that, it's not like Georgia Republicans have completely abandoned Donald Trump. He continues to lead in every poll we've seen of Georgia. He even leads Brian Kemp here in Georgia on in a theoretical poll, even though we just talked about how the governor is not going, is very unlikely to run for president. Um, so, you know, you have those two dueling kind of messages and we haven't seen a Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or another Trump alternative really catch fire here in Georgia. Six months away for, for the first votes, we're going to have our first debates in a few weeks. We're going to also have likely the, the news of a potential Donald Trump indictment here in Georgia. So there's going to be a lot of major, big news developments that could impact the election. So, you know, it's not set in stone, but right now um, those two competing visions are still out there. And I would say sort of Georgia Republicans are um, going down two dual lines. I don't know, dual tracks right now. Yeah, I completely agree. The, we've got these two dual camps and maybe even more here in Georgia. Um, I always think that the direction of a party has so much to do with the leadership of that party. And at the moment, there's just a big old question mark right now uh, for Republicans um, in terms of the national leadership that the people tend to emulate and be inspired by the leaders of their own parties. And until that's sorted out in uh, the 2024 primaries, I don't think we know exactly where it's going to go. If Donald Trump wins that nomination, I do think we're going to continue to see quite a bit of churn in the GOP um, because there, for as much as there is a base that loves him, there is kind of a parallel track of more independent voters Republicans who said they don't feel like they're Republicans anymore, people just really kind of rejecting that vision for the GOP. Um, so we'll see. But, you know, the Republican Party is not alone. I think Democrats have a very similar dynamic in terms of a, a different vision for what's at the top of the party versus what's happening in the base. And we're in just a really unusual time in our country right now, difficult time in our economy right now. So the leadership, whatever leadership wins out in these processes, I think will tell us a whole lot where the country is. But it's a big question mark for me on both of the parties. Ginny B, what else we got? Next up, we hear from Pam in Decatur. She misses one of George's legendary political voices. Hi, I love your podcast, Greg and Patricia. I was wondering if you had any updates on Bill Nygut and the reboot of Political Rewind. Um, so many of us miss that podcast so much and would love to get some news. 
Patricia, is this the question you've gotten all around town? <laughs> you know, I went to speak to two groups this week, and it's both. The, this question came up both independently. Um, what I always say is, I know Bill has a lot of options on his table, and that's because he, you know, he deserves it. <laughs> He's built quite the brand for himself. He is a legend in his own right, and I know he has some options on the table. I, I told him, and I know, I think I don't want to speak for you, but I think you told him the same thing that no matter what he ends up doing. As long as our boss has let us, we want to continue to work with him, and he we we value his voice out there, um, especially with so much big news coming right around the corner here in Georgia. Oh yes, listen, I don't get that question just around town. I get it around the state when I'm driving yeah. around because he had a huge statewide audience. Um, a lot of people relied on Bill and his program as almost their only source of information about Georgia politics. It's just easy to get, pull it down at 9 a.m. And then it was at a podcast as well. Um, so yeah, he's people are definitely looking for him in his next step. I can give you some breaking news about Bill Nygut. He texted me last night. I am taking a few days off at Siesta Key <laughs> <laughs> with a picture of him looking at a beautiful sunset with his wife, Janice. So they are, don't worry for Bill and I get right this second. <laughs> He's chilling. <laughs> And I'm sure that his um, I'm sure that his future will be sorted out uh, very soon. And I am have full I don't know what he's doing, but I have full confidence. We will all be hearing more from him in some kind of a similar yet uh, differently placed format uh, pretty soon. There's just I don't think there's much of a way that we're not going to. A similar but differently placed format. I like that. I, I, that could just be the tagline for whatever he ends up doing. Yeah, um, it's real catchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's all the time we have for the listener mailbag. Let's go to our final segment of the show. Who's up and who's down? Patricia, we always like to end on a high note. So who's your who's down for the week? My who's down for the week right now, uh, Greg, our state house Democrats, they are down a member after state representative Misha Maynard left the Democratic Party and became a Republican. Um, I don't think there's, in fact, I know there's not any love lost between Misha Maynard and the Democrats who who, uh, no. who had been her colleagues. So I don't think anybody is feeling sorry for themselves on either side of this scenario. But uh, they're just literally down a vote for the next year until another election rolls around. They're very confident that they're going to pick that seat back up down in House District 56. Um, in the meantime, Maynard will have an immense spotlight on her, I predict, from National Fox News and other outlets when she will be really put forward as a minority woman who left the Democrats and agrees with the Republicans on X, Y and Z issues. So she may be out of their caucus, but they have certainly not heard the last of Misha Maynard. And I think that will continue to cause some uh, friction in that space for a while longer. I would agree with you on that one. My who's down for the week are election deniers. Our friends over at ProPublica reported that nearly 100,000 voter registrations were challenged in Georgia under the state's new election laws. And nearly all of them came from six hardline conservative activists. What's more, the outlet found that the challenges, you know, while they did sometimes find errors in complex voter databases, many of them would have been corrected anyway doing routine maintenance. It goes to show you that the activists, the voting rights activists who were warning about the effects of SP202. A lot of attention was focused on voter ID and other parts of the bill. Not as much. We, of course, at the AJC, Mark Nisi reported a lot about this. But not as much attention was paid to this provision, but now it seems like it is, uh, it is having a consequential impact. Patricia, who's your 
who's up for the week? Okay, my who's up for the week is not anything to do with Georgia politics, but it is to do with Georgia. Chris Eubanks, the Georgia Tech standout tennis player who had this awesome run at Wimbledon this year. He didn't make it to the semifinals, but it just made me so happy to see him have such an awesome uh, run. Everybody at in London seemed to be absolutely wild about him. A real happy warrior, six foot seven, went to Westlake High School, just a homegrown kid having a great moment in the international spotlight. And I haven't watched a Wimbledon game live in 10 years, maybe. You just yeah. haven't cared about it. And um, his was really something to watch. Yeah, I was watching it. I was actually I was actually at a lunch with British diplomats in downtown Atlanta and I'd watched <laughs> the first two sets uh, at home before I left. And I was watching it on my phone as we were eating. I was giving them updates because uh, it went to five sets, right? It was a, it was a nail biter. Um, so uh, too bad he lost, but I hope he continues his success, even though he's a Georgia Tech yellow jacket. Uh, my who's up for the week is the oldest of Georgia's current auto manufacturers. It just keeps growing. Kia announced it was planning a $200 million investment that will create 200 new jobs at its West Point plant. Uh, the investment is going to assemble an all-electric three-row SUV, EV9. The Kia plant opened way back in 2009 and has fueled nearly $2 billion worth of investments and 14,000 or so spinoff jobs. That is my who's up. Kia and the folks out in West Georgia who keep having more jobs coming to them. Well, that is all the time we have for the show today. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean Breeze, Tropical Beach, Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.